If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 as we uh, continue walking through the book of Ephesians. And let me welcome you again. We're glad that uh, you're here this morning. And uh, uh, let me start with this. So there, there was a man uh, in Ireland who was a potato farmer. And when the potato famine uh, hit there, you know, he pretty much, I mean, he, he just he was struggling, uh, you know, to make ends meet, to, to have anything to, to eat, and, you know, just kind of, he didn't really know what to do, so uh, he decided that maybe his best option would be to try to relocate to the United States, and um, he, so he, he basically, you know, sold pretty much everything that he had, scraped together all the, the money that he could, and he bought a ticket to, you know, take a boat to sail across the Atlantic and come to the United States and to try to have a fresh start. And so, uh, you know, he got rid of almost everything, uh, you know, scraped together enough to get the ticket, but had almost no uh, money left at that point. And so what little money he had, he took and he bought enough cheese and crackers to be able to feed himself on this voyage uh, across the Atlantic that was going to take two or three uh, weeks. And so at some point uh, during the trip, maybe a week or so in, uh, one of the porters began to notice that this guy wasn't uh, you know, getting food like everybody else, but that he was always eating cheese and crackers. And so after a few days of noticing this, he decided that he would ask him about it, that he would just check on him and see if he had a, a, a need or there was a, a problem or a, a situation there. And so uh, he, he asked him about it and this uh, you know, farmer who was moving was kind of embarrassed, but he d- decided to, give, to answer him and to be honest. And he just said, you know, I've spent practically all of my money to uh, buy a ticket and couldn't, couldn't afford food. And so I just used what little bit I had and I got the cheese and crackers. And so that's what uh, I've I'm, I'm been eating. And, and then the, the porter said to him, he said, sir, you, you, you missed something here. There, there's something here that you're not understanding. When you bought the ticket, it was all inclusive. Everything on the trip was paid for, including the food. And I think that's kind of a parable, a picture for how a lot of Christians live the Christian life and that when we, that we think sometimes when we met Jesus that we got a ticket to heaven without realizing that it was all inclusive, that it was all expenses paid, that Jesus took care of not just getting us to heaven, but he took care of providing what we need right now in the here and now on the earth. Uh, in, in, in the scripture that uh, Shane read before during the worship time, it says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I believe that means that God gives us everything we need to be able to do and, and to be everything that he wants us to be and to do. Now, 
I think there's a couple of extremes that people can go to uh, with this. And one is that sometimes people get out of whack with this and they get into the prosperity gospel and they turn Christianity into like a slot machine in the sky. And if you pop in a little faith, you know, all these blessings are going to pop out and you're going to have health and wealth and prosperity and life's a bed of roses and everything's going to be awesome and easy. And they basically turn it into heaven on earth, which doesn't exist in a fallen world. So, Excuse me, sometimes people go to that extreme. But a lot of times, and I think this may be uh, a more common issue, at least for us, I don't know, uh, you know worldwide that it is, but right here, I think a, a lot of times we more struggle with not realizing how blessed we are, how much God has given us, all the resources and the riches that we have in, in Christ. And one thing, let me just say this up front, this is an important distinction if you want to understand this passage of Scripture and if you want to understand what I'm saying in the message today, is we have to make a distinction biblically between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. In the physical realm, there's what's called common grace. And common grace is the idea that was expressed by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that God makes the sun to shine and the rain to come on the just and the unjust. So what that means is, is you don't have to be a Christian for God to bless you in the physical, the material uh, realm. You know, God can meet your needs. God can take care of you. There's blessings. There's problems that come to every human being just as a part of being a human being, a creation of God, and, and being a part of this world that we live in. That, that, that's just a part of being alive. Okay, everybody has some degree of common grace. Some get more than others. But listen, if somebody can uh, not be a Christian and be a billionaire and have awesome health and be able to do a lot of great and exciting things in, in, in life, and I mean, that's the grace of God. They may not recognize it, but it's physical, it's earthly, it's material, it's not spiritual. Okay, there's the, the physical realm of common grace, but in the spiritual realm, the only thing that's going to do us any good is saving grace. And the kind of blessings that he's talking about in Ephesians 1 are not material, physical blessings. They're internal and eternal spiritual blessings that we, that we possess in Christ and are only possessed by being in Christ. Okay, so does that distinction make sense? And it's important to realize. So um, if, if you've ever been in the place, maybe this is one of the ways it applies practically, where you've asked God the question, and like uh, it's a biblical question. Asaph asked it in Psalm 73. You ever ask God the question, it's like, why does it seem like the, the righteous suffer and the wicked get ahead? Well, there's more than one answer to it. Sometimes it's God that's, part of the answer is God's patient. Part of the answer is, you know, there's eternal judgment. But part of the answer is simply Common grace. Uh, if you look at somebody and say, they're not a Christian, but man, look at everything they've got. It, it, it's not that like God's being unfair to somebody. It's just common grace. That, that's the answer. 
Okay, now you may say, well, I'd like some more common grace. And, you know, sometimes if we're honest, we're like, eh, I don't know about this common grace, st- or I don't know about this spiritual grace, uh, saving grace stuff. I mean, I don't know about these internal blessings. I'd like some more external blessings, right? I'd like a bigger house and a new car and some more money and a better job and, and, and all those kind of things. And listen, it's awesome when God gives those to us. But if that's what our life is based on, our life's going to be like a roller coaster. Because sometimes life's going to go good, sometimes it's going to be hard. God wants us to be more stable, more solidified than that. And that comes from understanding how blessed, how rich that we are in Jesus Christ. And Psalm 10.22, Scripture says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Okay, so let's, let's look here in, in Ephesians chapter 1, and let's, just, let's read the first couple of verses uh, again. Um, we looked at particularly verse 1 the last couple of weeks. We're going to focus on verse 3 today, and then we'll start picking up the pace a little bit a- after this, probably. But uh, remember, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is the one who's writing the letter. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, uh, faithful or believing in Christ Jesus. This is who he's writing it to. And then he writes, and it shows the divine human authorship of Scripture. It shows the, the message, what God was giving them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, most of chapter 2 is about this. But if we're in Christ, it's because of the grace of God, and we're at peace with God, and we have the peace of God. And then he comes to verse 3. And he starts and he uses this word. He uses the word blessed. Now, let me break this down a little bit because I think it will help us to understand what he's saying here. Um, Everybody probably, most everybody's been to a funeral before, right? Or memorial service or celebration of life, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of times at a funeral, at that type of service, there's a eulogy. Right? Everybody know what a eulogy is? You know, somebody stands up or maybe more than one person and they give uh, some remembrances and usually say uh, good things uh, about that, that person. And sometimes they're even true, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, so, you know, some people turn into a different person after they die. But, um, uh, you know, they, they, people are giving a eulogy. And, um, so where does the word eulogy come from? Well, it's kind of interesting. It actually comes from a Greek word. You know, eulogy in English is E-U-L-O-G-Y. It actually comes from a Greek word that, you know, if you spelled it out in English, would be the equivalent would be E-U-L-O-G-I-A. It's the Greek word eulogia. And it's a compound word. It's E-U, E-U, and logia, L-O-G-I-A. And U means good. Logia is a form of the word logos that means good, that means word. And so literally, eulogia means to say a good word. And so the word, when it was transliterated into English, when somebody gives a eulogy, it means to say a good word about somebody. So if you're asked to give a eulogy, the expectation would be is you're going to say a good word about that person. Well, eulogia is what's translated blessed here. So eulogy, say a good word, blessed. When we bless God, we're saying a good word about him. Um, when we praise God, we're blessing him. We're saying a good word about him. When we thank God for something, we're 
eulogia, we're blessing him, we're saying a good word about him. When we genuinely sing to him in worship, we're blessing him, we're saying a good word uh, about him. And so, you know, Paul just kind of breaks out into this praise here, into this worship, into this doxology, just kind of overflows with kind of overwhelmed with the goodness of God because he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then in verses 4 through 14, he goes on to name some of these blessings. And another little interesting fact about this is in, in verses 3 through 14, if you read it, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated into different languages. If you read what, you know, in our English versions is broken up into verses, it's not, it wasn't originally written that way, it was a letter. Uh, but, you know, 3 through 14, 12 verses. Um, if, you, if you read it in Greek, it's all one sentence. Now, isn't that crazy? Um, I mean, I went to Morristown West, graduated in 1988. Great, it was a great school, had an awesome English department, but the teachers were really tough. They were so tough that uh, if you have one run-on sentence or one incomplete sentence, it was an automatic F. I mean, no questions asked. And I just kind of imagine Mr. Workman reading this, and I don't know how many run-on sentences there are in here. I mean, it's bad grammar maybe, but it's awesome theology. It's just like Paul started thinking about the goodness of God, and he just couldn't stop writing about it, about how blessed we are, about how rich we are in Jesus Christ. And so he's just blessing the Lord because God has blessed us so much. And so what I want to focus on in, in, in the rest of our time together this morning is just trying to help us see the riches that we have in Christ, the, the blessings that we have in Him, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, His goodness toward us, with the hopes is, if you're not a Christian, that God will use this to cause you to see your need to be in Christ. And for those of us who are believers, that it will motivate us to bless him, to say a good word about him, to praise him, to trust him, to realize how blessed we are, not based on our performance, but based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us to see more clearly the inexhaustible riches of the grace of God that have been given to us in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that. First, let's talk about the source of our blessings. And I think this is a really important issue. It's a very practical issue. And just here's, I think, a very real question. What do we believe is the source of good in our lives? Or, or what do we believe is the source of blessing in our lives? And when you think about that question, we can believe that it comes from within us or that it comes from outside of us. If we believe that we're the source of our own blessings, of our own good, that we earned it, that we deserve it, it's because of what we've done and how talented we are and how hard we've worked and what we've accomplished, who are we going to praise? We're going to praise ourselves, right? So if, if, if things are good, if we're, quote, blessed, 
then we're awesome. Right? We get the credit for it. But when things are bad, who we got to give the blame to? You would think ourselves, and sometimes we do, and that leads to depression and despair, but a lot of times then we find a scapegoat. Right? We find somebody else to blame it on. When it's good, it's me. When it's bad, it's somebody else that's causing my problems. This hit home at all? This makes sense? You've not done it, but you've seen somebody live this way, right? I mean, you know somebody, somebody in your family. That's, That's how they function, right? I mean, so we can live on this roller coaster of life then based on external circumstances, Okay? But if we don't believe the ultimate source, and listen, don't, this, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we don't have something to do with it. I'm talking about the ultimate source. But if we don't believe it's from within us, then we have to believe it's outside of us. And so if it's outside of us, if that's where the source of our blessings is, we've got some options. It, it, it could be you know, our, our family that we were born into. It could be luck, it could be fate, it could be chance, it could be circumstances. You know, some people say, where you're born, you're born in the United States, so you're blessed. Somebody else, you know, they were born somewhere else, and, you know, their life's just the, the, the pits then. Or you could say, it's God. And then there's different versions of God that you get into. But, but let's just say, uh, just, you know, for we're... Teaching from the Bible today. Maybe you don't believe it yet. That's okay. But just consider this. Let's just say what, that what Paul's writing here is true. That we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That God is the ultimate source of our blessings. How does that then change us? Because really, if he's the source of our blessings, shouldn't he get the praise in, in, instead of us? And, and if he's the source of our blessings... That's constant, unlike me and unlike circumstances. And so I don't have to be up and down all the time. And so it's just a real different approach to life. But here's what I would say is I would say who we believe in reality. I'm not talking about what we give lip service to on Sunday morning, but I'm talking about day in and day out in our lives. Who we function like is the source of our blessings is one of the clearest clues as to where we are spiritually in the condition of our hearts. You say, well, how do you know? Well, if you believe God's your source, I would say that's going to do a lot to motivate your prayer life. If you believe God is your source and your provider, I think that's going to lead to worship and thanksgiving. If we believe that God is our source, I think that's going to lead to humility and us acknowledging him as the source instead of us just giving ourselves credit when things go well. But at the same time, I think it's going to help us to not fall into despair when things are difficult because if we believe this, we're going to know that we're still blessed in Jesus Christ even if the external circumstances aren't what we want them to be at a given moment. And so those are revealers, not what we say in church on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, what's happening with those kind of things in our lives says that 
what we believe is really the source. And so here's my question is, do you believe that God is the ultimate source of good and blessings in your life? Do you believe that this is true? Can you say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Do you really believe that? And if not, my hope today is that we can begin to to claim this and meditate on this and look to Him and and just... uh, rely on the truth of his word as we approach life and instead of living in pride, instead of living in despair, up and down all the time, relying on ourselves, that we can begin to rely on him and begin to use what he's already given us. Now listen, that doesn't absolve our responsibility to work and to pray and to obey and, 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 and trust and all these different things, but they're coming from him through us and then out into life. That's what he's saying. James Montgomery Boyce uh, writes that um, Paul is saying that the blessings listed come from God the Father, become ours in Jesus Christ, and are applied by the Holy Spirit. That every spiritual blessing, really every blessing that we have in our lives is... uh, from the grace of God. And so the idea of this is Paul is blessing God and, and, and by example, uh, encouraging us to do the same, that we bless God, we speak good of God because he is good to us. So who's the source? Well, according to this text, he is the source of all of our blessings, of every good thing. Second, though, I want you to think about the scope of, of the blessings. And, and, and by, by scope, I mean, like, how big are they? How far? Just a little bit of blessing, a lot of blessing. But, but notice what it says here. Go back to verse 3, if you would, Isaac. I mean, look, look at what it says. Um, I'm sorry, Ike. Uh, in Ephesians 1, 3. It says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. That's the scope of our blessings. Not some blessings, not a little bit of blessing, not blessing when we're good, but every spiritual blessing. See, sometimes I I think we operate in this mindset, and, and I think this says a lot of whether or not we really believe in grace. We think, if I do good, God's gonna bless me. If I do bad... God's going to get me, right? So sometimes um, in our lives, if things aren't going well, our first question is, what did I do wrong? Or it may be something like, why is God mad at me? Or, you know, why is God blessing them and he's not blessing me? When we think that way, we're not living in grace, He says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. The material blessings can come and go, but it's in Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's the scope. 
You possess it. It, it. it came to be yours at the moment of your salvation. You're not getting it as you go along. Uh, I mean, God's not like uh, your mom when you were a kid on Halloween. You got this big bucket of candy, but she'd only dole it out about two pieces a day. He gives us the whole load at the moment of salvation. He's a good God. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The Bible says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's yours. Paul wants us to believe that, to claim that, to accept that. Um, I mean, think about it. Um, so this means, um, I'll use somebody for an example here. Josh, how long have you been a Christian now? About a year? A year ago this month, okay? All right. So you understand, well, Philip, how long have you been a Christian now? Uh, a long time. <laughs> like 40 years? Yeah. Well, not 50. He didn't get saved when he was 41 three. 41 years. Okay. So 41 years in a year. And here's the thing you got to understand. Philip is no more blessed in Christ than Josh is. In Christ, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's not like God's given Josh a few this year and he can get a few more the next year and a few more after that. And in 40 years, he can catch up with Philip. We're not earning it. We're not buying it. It's given to us by grace at the moment of our salvation. Now, hopefully... Philip's learned uh, to apply those blessings and live out of these blessings and recognize these blessings a little more and, and, and trust a little more than Josh has since he's got a 40-year head start uh, on him. But they're still blessed the same. And, and so uh, every spiritual, it's by the, the grace of God. And you know, he goes on here. This is kind of the slate of, of the blessings. To, he, he names some blessings over the next few verses. And these aren't all of them, but it's a great representation. He says he's chosen us. Think about it. God picked you. You ever the last person picked on the playground? You don't have to admit it. But, but I mean, that's not, that's not a good feeling, right? God picked you. He didn't, you weren't the last choice. God chose you. God wanted you. He, he's adopted us. He's brought us into his family, made us his sons and his daughters. It says that he's accepted us in the beloved. You know what one of our basic human needs is? It's for acceptance. I mean, people do crazy, stupid stuff to just get accepted. But if we realize we're already accepted in Christ by the one that ultimately matters, you can't make people accept you. You can be the greatest person in the world. You can do the nicest things for people and they can still reject you. God should have rejected us because of our sin, but he has accepted us. That's the riches of his grace. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's taken care of our sin problem and our guilt problem and our, and our shame. He made us alive. We ran out of that tomb that had imprisoned us in Christ. He's given us wisdom and knowledge of his will. He's given us an inheritance. Our future is secure and he's given us the Holy Spirit so through him we can now in our actual human experience right now experience the presence of God experience all these blessings in our day-to-day -day lives and he's the seal the guarantee the down payment the the earnest money that we're going to experience these things forever in heaven we're blessed with every spiritual blessing 
Now think about this. John MacArthur writes this in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, Several years ago, the Los Angeles Times reported the story of an elderly man and wife who were found dead in their apartment. Autopsies revealed that both had died of severe malnutrition, although investigators found a total of $40,000 stored in paper bags in a closet. For many years, Hetty Green was called America's greatest miser. When she died in 1916, she left an estate valued at $100 million. But she was so miserly that she ate cold oatmeal in order to save the expense of heating the water. When her son had a severe leg injury, she took so long trying to find a free clinic to treat him that his leg had to be amputated because of an advanced infection. It has been said that she hastened her own death by bringing on a fit of apoplexy while arguing the merits of skim milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. The book of Ephesians is written to Christians who might be prone to treat their spiritual resources much like that miserly couple and Hetty Green treated their financial resources. Such believers are in danger of suffering from spiritual malnutrition because they do not take advantage of the great storehouse of spiritual nourishment and resources that is at their disposal. Ephesians has been given such titles as the Believer's Bank, the Christian's Checkbook, and the Treasure House of the Bible. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritances, and fullnesses in, in, in Jesus Christ and His church. It tells them what they possess and how they can claim and enjoy their possessions. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, many banks would allow their customers to withdraw no more than 10% of their accounts during a given period of time because the banks did not have enough resources to cover all deposits. But God's heavenly bank has no such limitations uh, or restrictions. You, you can't ever uh, uh, bounce a check of God's grace. Uh, no Christian, therefore, has reason to be spiritually deprived, undernourished, or impoverished. In fact, he has no reason not to be completely healthy and immeasurably rich in the things of God. The Lord's heavenly resources are more than adequate to cover all our past debts, our present liabilities, and our future needs, and still not reduce the heavenly assets. That is the marvel of God's gracious provision for his children. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing and a whole lot of material blessings too. But once again, the material blessing part, that's common grace. That's not dependent on whether or not you're a Christian. The spiritual blessing part is completely dependent on whether or not you're a Christian. But the thing that I want you to see is if you're in Christ, you already have the, all of these blessings. Everything that God has to offer you from the moment of salvation because Jesus paid it all for you. The Holy Spirit came to live in you, to indwell you, not by measure, but God lives inside of you. He's your greatest treasure, and you have all these blessings along with him. And if we begin to live out of that mindset and begin to live according to the grace of God, it will change our lives. Number four, I want you to think about the strategy of the blessings for a minute. And, and, and we need to understand, when I talk about a strategy, like a plan, God has a strategy, a plan, a purpose, a point for anything that he does. 
God does not do anything haphazardly by the seat of his pants or off the cuff. He's got a plan. And and like, hopefully as parents, uh, if if we give our kids something, we've got a strategy in it. There's a plan. Hopefully we're not just uh, giving our 13-year-old something to get them to stop whining about it. That's that's not a good plan. God doesn't doesn't do things because of how much we whine. There's two basic biblical reasons that anytime God blesses us for anything that he's given us, for all these spiritual blessings, for all the goodness in our life, there's two reasons that that God blesses us. Maybe there's more, but that these are always true. Everything God is blessing you with is for your good and for his glory. Everything God does for us is for our good and for his glory. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. God is good to us. Everything he does is for our good, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't seem like it in the moment. And certainly all of these spiritual blessings are for our good. But at the same time, Everything that God does, and this is his ultimate strategy, his ultimate purpose, everything that God does is for his glory. So that his perfection, his greatness be revealed, so that his name be made famous. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, I mean, you, you can kind of read it and think, man, uh, look at everything I've got. I mean, God must really love me. I mean, he wanted me, and, and, you know, he's accepted me, and he's made me his child, and all these things. But then there's some things that he tucks in there that make it really clear that it's not ultimately about us. It's ultimately about him. We're just the beneficiary. Uh, Because he says, like at the end of verse 6, he says, according to the good pleasure of his will. And and then the beginning, I'm sorry, the end of verse 5, then the beginning of verse 6, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. If you look over a little bit further, Uh, In verse 12, he says, to the praise of his glory. The end of verse 14, he says, to the praise of his glory. You see the same thing happening in in chapter 2. God's ultimate purpose and plan is to glorify his own name, but he does good for us, gives us good things at the same time. And and I want to make this point that's really important. One of the keys to spiritual health and growth is for us to have the conviction, to live out of the conviction that God's glory and our good are not in competition with one another out here, but they are just completely woven together and are absolutely inseparable. Now you say, I mean, what does that mean? What's, what's, the, what's the point of that? That, is, that just sounds like theology. What's that mean uh, to, to my life? Well, th- th- this is where I think it, it really becomes practical. You see, Satan's lie in the garden and his lie in our lives is that we should pursue our good instead of pursuing God's glory. Right? I mean, what's the world tell us? What's our flesh tell us? I mean, what's Satan's lie? 
You do you. You live your life. You do your thing. You don't, you don't need God or maybe, you know, you do your thing now and you can think about this God stuff when you're old. You, you know, you, you need to be happy. You need to have what you want. You, you deserve it. You, you need to get what's good for you. Let me just ask you a simple question. How many, how many lives have been ruined by people pursuing their own good and their own happiness and their own satisfaction, what they want, living for themselves, just, you know, give me what's going to fill me up, give me what's going to make me happy. Listen, anything that's outside the glory of God is ultimately bad for us. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden, they had everything. It was perfect. It was, everything was very good. They had everything they needed. They had fellowship with God. They were living in paradise. And what Satan tell them? God's holding back on you. There's more to this. You need to do your own thing. You need to, you know, he's not going to judge you. You can, be, you can be like God. But the lie was they were already like God. They lost everything. And now we live in this fallen world. Listen, when we try to live for our own glory instead of the glory of God, that's when we ruin our lives. That's when we mess everything up. That's when we miss the best of what God has for us. It, it's, it's a lie. Listen, when we pursue the glory of God, that's when we really find what's good because that's when we really, truly find peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction. That's where true happiness is found because if we're trying to find happiness in, 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 in ourselves and in this world, what people end up doing is when, they, when it doesn't work and they won't turn to God, then they end up turning to a bottle and, and, and to drugs and to the wrong kind of relationship relationships, and all these kind of things to fill up what's missing on the inside that only the glory of God can truly satisfy. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures filling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too far easily pleased. God wants us to experience his glory and as we experience his glory, that's what we experience is truly, that's, is, that's truly good. But that's only found in Jesus Christ. And so that leads me to the last thing that we need to understand here. And, and this may be the most important thing. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really important that we settle the question in our lives, who's the source of our blessings? And I think it's really important that we see that uh, the scope of the blessing, every spiritual blessing... The moment of salvation, it belongs to you, that we live out of that. It's really important to see God's strategy behind this. It's his glory and for our good. But if we're actually going to experience it, the main thing is that we understand that the sphere, the location, the place that we experience these blessings is only in union with Jesus Christ. Only when we're in Christ. Okay? Uh, Go back to Ephesians 1-3 for just a second. Just read it again. We ought to memorize this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
These blessings are in heaven, but they come into our lives when we get connected with Jesus. Now, it's very important that we understand something here. Okay, so let me circle back around to what I said at the beginning. That's why I took the time to mention this at the beginning. We have to understand there's a material realm when it comes to blessing. There's a spiritual realm. In the material realm, there's common grace. Rain comes, sun shines on the just and the unjust. So your spiritual condition really has nothing to do with receiving common grace and being blessed. But when it comes to spiritual blessings in that realm, in that sphere, it has everything to do with it. Because what he's saying here, we only receive these spiritual blessings when we're in Christ. Now, you say, why does that matter? Because, I mean, let's be honest. All of us, our default mode is material blessing. It is for me. I mean, there's no reason to lie about it. I like it when life is smooth. I mean, I do, right? You do too. I like it when my wife is happy, particularly happy with me, right? Uh, you know, she's, she's glad to see me. Uh, I like it when all the bills are paid without stress, when the cars are running right and, you know, something's not happening in, in the shop, when, you know, there's nothing big broken at the house. And, I mean, and that's just on a simple level. I mean, we'd all like to have more money, you know, all these kind of, I mean, so that's kind of our default mode, but there's two problems with that, okay? If all we focus on is the material blessings, that's three problems. There's probably a lot of problems. There's three I want to mention. One, life becomes a roller coaster dependent on outward circumstances. Two, we can have everything that this world has to offer and still be completely empty on the inside if we don't have these spiritual blessings. And then number three, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What if we have, what if we're the most blessed person on the face of the earth through God's common grace and we die without Jesus? What's it all going to matter the first moment that we're in hell and every moment thereafter? That's why this matters. That's why this matters. We're, we're, the Bible tells us spiritually, once again, not materially, but spiritually, that there, there's either two states, there's one of two states we can be in. We can either be outside of Christ and we're cursed, or we're in Christ, and we're blessed. There's no way around it. Let, let me show it to you in Scripture. We're, we're going to close with this. If you've got a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 3. If not, uh, it, it'll be on, on the screen. <clears throat> and in the book of Galatians, Paul is teaching us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he, he in, in this little section we're going to read, he particularly deals with the issue of curse and blessing. And so, um, I don't know where everybody is spiritually. Some of you may not even believe the Bible, if, and, and, and that's okay. I just ask you to consider it. But I, but I want us to look at, whether you believe it or not, just what is actually being said here, what, what's being claimed. So, verse 10, he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, 
I think there's two very clear things that, that he's saying here. Whether you believe it or not, I just want us to see if we can agree that this is actually what he's saying here. Number one, that if you are not perfect, if you haven't completely kept the law of God, that you're under a curse, under the curse. Is, is that what it says? Yes. This means yes. This means no. Yes. Is that what it says? And this goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, where God gave all these commands, and he listed these blessings for obedience and this and curse, curse, curses for disobedience. So he says, if you, don't, if you haven't perfectly obeyed God, you're under the curse. But the second thing that it says, it says, if we're trying to make ourselves right with God by keeping the law, that we're under the curse. Does it not say that? And here's the reason why. If you want to be saved through keeping the law, be made right with God through keeping the law, if that's what you're going on, you can claim the blessings that come from obedience, but what about all your disobedience? you got to claim all the curses that come from that. You're under the curse. You don't stand a chance. And that's why he says in the next verse, he says that no one is justified, which means what? It means declared righteous by the law in the sight of God. Why? Because the law brings a curse it, because of our disobedience. It says it's evident that the just shall live by faith. So the only way that we're actually made right with God is through living by faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ. It says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And then notice these last two verses. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the law curses us because of our disobedience. We can't make ourselves right by keeping the law because we haven't kept the law. That's why we're cursed in the first place. But the good news is the one who wasn't cursed, the only one who's never sinned, the one who didn't deserve a curse, became a curse for us by dying on the cross. Do you get this? Jesus bore our sin. He bore our curse. He suffered our punishment. He died the death that we deserve to die. So what? Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might, might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So if we're not in Christ, we're under the curse of the law, condemned by our own disobedience, the wrath of God upon us. But if we turn from our sins to Jesus by faith, trusting in him and him alone, not the grace of God, not our own ability, not our own works, not our own righteousness, then in Christ Jesus, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. So where do you stand spiritually? Are you cursed or are you blessed? Are you in Christ or outside of Christ? And if you are in Christ, are you living like you're blessed? 
Do you believe you're blessed with every spiritual blessing? Are you claiming those blessings? Are you trusting God to internally give you, and really externally too, everything that you need? Are you relying on Him? Do you see Him? Are you trusting Him as your source? And are you praising and worshiping and thanking Him because He is the source, because He's good? Even though we deserve curse, He's given us blessing. That's grace. Are we basing our lives on living out of the grace of God. That's how God transforms our hearts. It's by his grace. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. We're going to sing in a minute, and I want to give you a chance uh, to respond to the Lord. As we sing in a moment, I, I hope that we'll sing as an act of worship. But, I mean, if you need to pray, if there's something you need to make right with the Lord or something you need to trust Him with, something you maybe just need to worship Him, if you just want to be alone with you and God, if you'll come to your right, my left, but to your right side uh, of the, the stage here, or if you want somebody to pray for you, pray with you, minister to you, if you'll come to the left side, your left side, I'll be here. Maybe some of you, maybe you need to talk to somebody. There's some of you that the decision you need to make right now is the most important decision you can ever make. And that's moving from curse to blessing. Moving from being outside of Christ to in Christ. And you don't do it by religion. You don't do it by good works. You don't do it by your own effort or righteousness. It's simply by repentance and faith. It's simply by acknowledging your sin, being broken over your sin, asking God to forgive you, admitting that you can't save yourself, and receiving Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead as your Lord and as your Savior. It's trusting Him. And then if you have the, the faith to trust Him, to outwardly confess that faith. And so if God's doing a work in your heart right now and he's giving you the faith to respond to Jesus, I encourage you just to confess that faith to him, to ask his forgiveness, to ask Jesus to come into your life and take control, to, to acknowledge and trust and rely on his death and his resurrection for the payment of your sins as the only means to make you right with God. To confess him as your Lord, to give him control of your life. Listen, if you've got questions about becoming a Christian, come see me during the invitation. Talk to me or somebody else afterwards or fill out your connection card. If you just gave your life to Christ, let us know in some way. If you need to be baptized, let us know that. We can set that up. Or if you just want to take an immediate act of obedience, we've got what you need. You can publicly confess your faith in Christ through believer's baptism right now. We'll help you to do that.